Okay, kindergartners, stay up here with us. Everyone else, if you can be making your way to your seat. Okay, Miss Dawn, can you hand me one of those bags? Thanks. Oh, nice. All right, welcome to Family Sunday. Can we welcome our kindergartners to church this morning? For many of these people, it's their first time sitting in a big church service. That's a big deal. And, uh, and this morning, we have a special gift for you kindergartners in these bags inside of them. You can look in them right now. You can pull whatever's inside of them out. We're going to give you two things. First, we've got a Jesus Storybook Bible. You can be reading through that today during the sermon. It's got good pictures. It does a great job of showing us where Jesus is in the Bible. And the second thing we've got, y'all are going to love this got your very own big kid Bibles. So we want you to have these this morning because at Dallas Bible Church, we have Bible in our name. We believe Bibles are important, right? And whenever I was six years old, someone gave me my first Bible, and it was so important to me. And as I learned to read, as some of you guys are doing this year in school, you're going to learn what treasures there are in this book. And as you get older, you're going to learn how faithful God is in it. So I want to encourage you this morning, parents, uh, kids, take these home and read them. Um, I just want to pray for you all real quick. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray for our kindergartners. Dear God, we thank you for your Bible. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for those of us who are here this morning who may be in church for the first time. I pray that you would bless our kindergartners as they grow up in Christian homes, may they learn to love your word, to go to it for courage and strength, and may it be a treasure to them in their hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, kindergartners. Thank you for being here this morning. You may go back to your seats. All right. Well, you may not know it to walk outside. It's October. Tomorrow's supposed to be nice. We'll see. Uh, October is one of my favorite times of year because it's, uh, it's the spooky season. You know, the spooky season. Time to dress up in costumes. I love costumes. I love horror movies. I love the whole thing. And um, in 1994, I had a very specific costume that I want to share with you this morning. Um, if you think about costumes that were popular in 1994, you might think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You might think He-Man. You might think that monster from the movie Scream with the mask. Uh, but I was homeschooled. <laughs> Which means that in 1994, I dressed as my hero, David, son of Jesse. Show us the slide, guys. There I am. I don't know if my mom will loan me her T-shirt for this year's block party, but I'd love to bring it back. I'm not sure what biblical character my sister is angel of death. I don't know. Um, I loved David as a kid. Loved him. I mean, my gosh, what a story. It's a, it's a kid, right? And he kills a giant. What an incredible story. And if you're a little boy, who, who doesn't resonate with that? Who doesn't want to grow up to be like King David? And I think everyone in this room probably knows that story of David and Goliath. This may be your first time in a church ever, but you probably know the story of David and Goliath. I think because we know it so well, we're a little too close to it to really realize the gravity of the situation and the courage of this young man. When you hear the story of David and Goliath, I want you to think of a time when life was 
brutish, and short. A time where if you lived to be 19 years old, you were lucky. If you made it to 30, you were an old man. A time when going to war meant sacrificing everything, including your family, because if you don't make it back, who's going to feed them? So imagine if we, with me if you would, you're a 19-year-old child with a family, and you show up at the front lines. You're going to follow King Saul into battle for the first time, and you don't want to be there. It's the last thing you want to do. But you line up, and you see your sworn enemies, the Philistines, across from you. And, and this is a time when battle is hand-to-hand, fist-to-fist. You can feel the hot breath of your enemy on your neck. It's a time when you're more likely to die from an infection going home than you are from the stab wound of the battle or die from being crushed by your allies. In fact, uh, men of the time used to take off as much clothes as possible because they were afraid of getting cloth in their wounds when they got stabbed. That's how dangerous it was. And you're standing there, and you've got your spear in your hand. You don't want to be there. And you look, and coming out of the Philistine crowd, there's a literal giant, a man who's nine foot tall. This is a guy who's going to make Dirk look like me and Aaron. This man's huge. And he stands out there in front of the Israelites and he says, who's going to fight me? You Israelite dogs, which one of you is going to fight me? Oh, you've got a God. Okay, let's see how powerful your God is. Come out and fight me, Goliath of Gath. And every day you stand there and you're shaking. I'm not going to fight that guy. You going to fight that guy? And no one answers. Day after day after day after day until one day you hear a voice. And that's the first time you see him. And that's the first time you hear his name. And it's a name you're not going to forget. You're going to be hearing it a lot in the next 30, 40 years. David, son of Jesse. And he steps out. He doesn't have a spear. He doesn't have a bow and arrow. He doesn't even have armor on. He's got a sling and five stones. And he steps out and and he shouts at the giant, I'm going to do it in King James because I think it's epic. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. You ever tell someone you're going to smite them? (laughs) And I will smite thee, and I'll take thine head from thee, giant, and I'll give your carcass and the host of the Philistines to the fowls of the air and the beasts of the earth. And then the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone's listening to David, and he says, And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword, not with spear, but the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hand. And the kid, he doesn't walk forward. He takes off his shoes and he runs at the giant. He runs at him. Knocks him in the head. Giant comes down and the whole world changes. Who doesn't want that courage? Like, who wouldn't want a piece of that? What little boy doesn't look at that and say, hey, that's my guy. That's who I want to be like. I want that kind of courage, right? And some of us, boys and girls in church tonight, need that courage, if you're like me, to go to bed at night when something goes bump in the closet. Some of you, little boys and girls who are a little older, need that courage to confess to your wife that you've been having an affair. Some of you, Little boys, little girls who are a little older need that courage when the doctor says those two words that you dread, it's cancer. 
who doesn't want the courage of the giant slain boy? And I'm going to give you his secret this morning. And I want you to pay attention to it. Here's the secret of the giant slayer. When you seek God, you find courage. When you seek God, you find courage. We're going through a journey in the Psalms. I'd like to ask us to stand for the reading of God's word. In your Bibles, turn to Psalm 27. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud. First service, they tried to read it with me. Just listen to me read. We'll pray together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This giant slain boy saying this. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, just one thing. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. And in a sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Some of you all know what it's like to have your father and mother forsake you. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Still, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. We want that courage. This morning, I want to show you how to get it. When you seek God, you find courage. And I know that sounds kind of esoteric. That sounds a little abstract. In church, a lot of times we say things like, hey, just seek God, you'll get courage. But what I want to do this morning in Psalm 27 is just throw, show you re, three real specific ways to seek God, maybe ways you haven't thought of before when you're in need of courage. And I want you to think in your mind, what's that one thing? What's that thing right now that I need to do that I am afraid of? And let's look at God's word together. First, look at me, if you will, at verses 1 through 3. David says, Lord's my light, my salvation. Who am I going to fear? I'm not going to fear a giant. It's the stronghold of my life. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies that stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, not afraid of giants. My heart will fear. Though war break out against me, again, not afraid of giants. Even then I will be confident. So with all the dangers in David's life, he's got people literally trying to kill him. He asks for one thing. Look in verse 4. One thing, just one thing I'm asking from you, Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord in his temple. David doesn't ask for a chariot. He doesn't ask for a horse. He doesn't ask for a big old spear. I would ask for a machine gun. He doesn't ask for those things. David asks for one thing. Hey, Lord, let me dwell in your house. Let me live where you're at. When you seek God, you find courage. The first way you seek God is to seek God's presence. Seek 
God's presence. When David says, I want to live in the house of the Lord, what he's not saying is, I'm going to stick around after Family Sunday. I'm going to hide back there, eat communion crackers, drink grape juice, bathe, shave in the baptistry. He's not saying hide in a church. What he's saying is hiding in God's unique presence. You see, in the Old Testament, God's holy glory and presence dwelled in a place called the tabernacle or the temple. It's where God was uniquely. And so when David's scared, he's saying, let me go there. Let me go to where God's presence is. Now, here's the rub. For us today, we don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple. If you're scared of something today, I'm not suggesting you book a one-way ticket to Jerusalem and hang out on the temple mount. That ain't going to help you. But what God's word says is that his temple and his Holy Spirit still dwells with us. And where is it? It's not in some tent. It's not in some building made of stones. It's, everyone look to your left. Look to your left. Come on, do it. Look to your right. That's where God's presence is. Because God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. So let me tell you what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Because each of you have the Holy Spirit in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person because God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. So wait, hold on. God's Spirit dwells in you. That means God's presence is in you. If the giant killing boy were here right now and he was scared, he would go to you. He would go right to you guys because you're where the holy spirit of god dwells so when you seek his presence you find his courage let me show you how this works um three or four months ago my family got a hard diagnosis some of you guys know what this like Uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer it had spread to his um, lymph system and they were unsure of where else it was in his body suffice to say it was serious Also suffice to say that I was really scared. And sometimes I'm not super vulnerable with people around me, but I was showing up to church week after week, and I was afraid. I was afraid of what was going to happen to my family. I was afraid of what was going to happen to my dad. And I didn't know where to get courage from. So one Sunday morning, I'm teaching the second and third grade classroom. We got any second and third graders in here? Raise your hand if you're second or third grader. Yeah, you guys might have been there for this. Is Holland Pierce in here? They're normally in first service. I don't think they're here today. Holland was in that class, and I'm sharing, uh, we're taking prayer requests. And prayer requests with kids are always so much fun. (laughs) Uh, and, And I was so burdened that morning and so afraid. At one point I said, guys, can I ask you to pray for something? I said, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I'm afraid. And Holland Pearson, because she has God's spirit in her, and because God's presence is there, raises her hand immediately. And she says, Mr. Zane, I, don't, I hate to interrupt you, but can I pray for your dad right now? I don't want to wait. Can I pray for him right now? And she prays for my father. And I leave that moment, and because God's Holy Spirit is in Holland and is in her presence, I saw something of God. Here's what I saw. I saw that God cares about my problems right now. Right now. And as if that wasn't enough, the Holy Spirit leads me later in the day to Alex Xander Starr. Alex, are you here? 
Okay, he's laying down over there. If you know Alex, if you know Xander, you know that he's hilarious. Tori and I often say, he's the funniest person we know. Uh, He'll greet you with a smile, he'll greet you with a joke, and and Alex had had a tough year last year. He had really had a lot of problems in his life. You might ask him about it sometime, but Alex, week after week, was faithful to come up to me and say, hey, Mr. Zane, can I tell you a joke? Hey, Mr. Zane, I got something to say to you, and always make me laugh. And that Sunday where I was scared about my father, the Holy Spirit of God and Alex Starr speaking through a hard time in his life, but also showing God's glory. Alex showed me that God, God likes to laugh even when things are hard. God wants us to take joy even when we need courage. And then, y'all, that wasn't the end of the day. Holland showed me God cares about me right now. Alex showed me that God gives me joy and hardship. And then at the end of the day, Selah Martin, um, I think Selah was here first hour. Selah uh, showed me something else about God because God's presence is in her. God's Holy Spirit is in her. Uh, There were some visitors at our church who didn't have any friends in the fourth and fifth grade classroom. And Selah, as soon as they walk through the door and notices they're lonely, she walks up to them. Hey, what's your name? What's your parents' names? Where do you work? Oh, you don't work. You're a kid. That's right. What do you like to eat? What do you like to do? What movies do you enjoy? Question after question after question because Selah has God's Holy Spirit in her and Selah knows that God doesn't want people to feel lonely. And God wanted me to feel that too. So in the presence of Holland, Alex, and Selah, God gave me courage by showing me that he cares about me in the present that we can laugh when things are hard and I'm not alone. That's what it looks like to seek his presence and find courage. And some of you all who need courage today when it's cancer, when it's a broken marriage, when it's going to f- being afraid when you go to sleep, some of you who need courage for that, look to your left, look to your right, because that's where God's presence dwells and you have a wealth, a wealth of courage available with you in this room. God's Holy Spirit is in you. Do not neglect that. So David says, when I need courage, I seek God. I find courage. I seek God's presence first. What else does David say? David says, don't just seek his presence. He says, seek his path. So verse 10, look at this. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Teach me, lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Teach me your way. Teach me your way. David says, I got oppressors. I got people who are trying to kill me. I don't know if y'all have anyone in this room who's trying to kill you. Hopefully they're not in this room. Uh, But many of us have really hard things in our life. And David says, what do we do when we get there, when we need courage? Well, we seek God's path. We seek his map, his road map, his way of life. Now, um, I want to tell you a story. Uh, Every year, I, I try to make a pilgrimage to West Texas to go for a a hike in the desert. Um, I love spending the night out in the desert. It's so quiet. I love seeing the stars. In some ways, it's where I connect with the Lord every year and refresh. And in 2016, I decided to go down to Devil's River um, Wilderness Area. Has anyone ever been there? A couple of you, Richard has. A couple of you have. It's in the middle of nowhere. Y'all know that. Devil's River is in the middle of nowhere. It's a dry desert. There's hardly anything there. Um, But I went there to go for a little, like a day hike, right? So I got my water, I stopped by the ranger station, and they gave me a map. Um, Now, for those of us who are elementary students here, a map is like, imagine your phone, but like if it's really flat, (laughs) and made of paper, 
I know, stick with me. Um, so they give me a map, and like, you know how most maps, there's a certain orientation to it where the words read like this, and you've got, you know, your mountains, and here's a river, happy little trees, and, uh, and it shows you which way to go. And for people who know maps well, you know that at the bottom of the map, there's typically this thing called a legend or a key, and you're going to see the direction north on the map. And which way does north normally point on the map? Help me out, guys. Up, right? Typically points to the upper portion of the map. Now, this map that they gave me at Devil's River was not complete, and it was missing the, uh, the legend on it. And so I've got this map, right? And I'm going for my hike. And uh, I see something off the trail. It's, it's a neat little cave. So I hike over to this mesa, and I'm in the cave, and I'm praying, and there's like bones and stuff in there. It's really cool. And, uh, and, and I'm like, okay, well, it's starting to get late. I better go back to the trail. That way I can find my back, way back to the car. And so I start bushwhacking back, and I see, okay, well, if north's this way, then I need to go. All right, and I start to hike. I go one mile, no trail. I go two miles, no trail. And I go three miles, and there ain't no trail. So I start to backtrack, no trail, no trail, no trail. And the sun is going down, and I am out of water. And I am freaking out. In the desert, everything is sharp and tries to kill you. So I've got cactus prickles in my pants and boots, and it's about that time that I look at the map and I realize, oh crud, there's no key on this map. I had no business being confident in this map. You know why? Because it was a bad map. <laughs> Some knucklehead gave it to me, and it was a bad map. Uh, the reason I tell you that story is some of you are following a bad map. Some of you have no reason to be courageous or confident because your map is bad. Because you're taking all the wrong turns. Because you don't have God's path. You know where we can find that map? Hey, kindergartners, you got your Bibles? Hold them up for us if you got your Bibles. Carter's got his. He's holding it up. Let's see them. There they are. Y'all, they got God's map. God's Bible, God's word is the map that we follow whenever we're having trouble making decisions. Uh, a lot of us read the Bible and we read all of these rules and commandments and laws and we have this false presupposition that God's word is a roadmap to making God happy. That's not what all that's about. God's laws, God's rules are not about making God happy. God's rules and laws and his word are about making you healthy. Listen to that again. God's Word is not a roadmap to making God happy. It's a roadmap to making you healthy. Let me explain. When God says in his word, don't commit adultery, he says that because he doesn't want you to wreck your life. It's not because he wants you to miss out on something. He doesn't want you to destroy your family. When God says to be radically generous, it's not because he wants you to not have money. It's because he doesn't want you to be ruled by your money. He doesn't want you to be controlled by it. When God says not to lie, it's not because he wants to restrict you. It's because he wants you to have credibility. Kids, when God says to honor your father and mother, God's not saying that because he doesn't want you to have a good time. What he, he's saying that because hopefully someday your kids will see you doing that and they'll put you in a nice nursing home. <laughs> God's word is not a roadmap to making God happy. It's a roadmap to making you healthy. 
And David knows that. He says, when I've got hard situations, when I need courage, I just need to know what you need from me, God. Tell me what to do. And when you all are in those situations where you need courage, when you need to speak out against an enemy, whenever you need to stand up for the weak, when you need to take your family through that journey that you know is going to be painful, when you need to write that big check that you don't have space for in your bank account, but God has called you to, know that in all those things, God delights. And God is looking to make you healthy. And you don't have to be afraid because you're on God's roadmap. You've sought his path. David sees that. If you want the secret to slaying giants, you got to seek God's presence. you got to seek God's path. And you find courage. David doesn't just tell us to seek God's presence and path, though. God, uh, David tells us to seek one more thing. I want to show you this morning. Uh, David says, seek his presence, seek his path. He also says, seek God's promise. Seek God's promise. I have promise singular there for a reason. We'll get to that. Here's what David says, verse 13. This boy who kills giants says this. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Now, I don't really understand this, frankly. Because when I read God's uh, word up until the time of David, I don't see a lot of promises about resurrection. We, we think that David probably had an idea that God would give him an afterlife. We think that David had an idea of maybe a Messiah who was coming. But David did not have this guy. David didn't have the same promise that we do. And knowing that Jesus died and came back to life... And so can we. So when I read verses 13 and 14, David saying, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I see something that happens in Psalm every once in a while. I see a prophetic word. I see the Holy Spirit speaking through David to you today at Dallas Bible Church that when you need courage, you too can remain confident of one thing. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And some of us this morning don't feel like we're in the land of the living. Some of us feel like we're in the land of the dead. Whenever your marriage is on the rocks and you don't know how things are going to turn out, there is no promise, kids, that when mom and dad say we're splitting up, there's going to be a happy ending. Unfortunately, there's no promise, parents, that whenever the boss says we've got to let you go, that there's going to be a happy ending. There's no promise when the doctor says it's cancer, but there will be a happy ending. But there is one promise, singular, that we can hold on to, and it's the promise that David gives us in this beautiful psalm, and that's that we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Let me unpack that for you. Here is the gospel, put simply. Here is the promise that you want to lean into. Kids, can I see your eyes? Because this is really important. Here's the promise of the New Testament. Jesus died. Jesus came back to life. And if you put your faith in him, you can do the same thing. It's that simple. That is audacious, right? That's a crazy promise. But the fact of the matter is, 2,000 years ago, something crazy happened where people started to believe that promise. If you're a skeptic in this room this morning, if you're not quite sure about what to believe about the empty tomb and about the cross, you still got to reconcile with the fact that 2,000 years ago, a group of men and women in the ancient Near East, started living their lives with radical courage because they're holding on to a certain promise that a once-dead carpenter is going to come back and save them and they'll live forever. That is the promise of the gospel. 
And there's no promise that the rest is going to end out okay. And when you need courage, you don't hold out on the promises that things are going to be fine. But you can hold out on the promise that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will save you and you can live forever with him in a perfect kingdom. That's where David gets courage. And that's where the believers got courage in the early church. Man, there's all these stories in the New Testament of women and men who are changed by this incredible promise. We have this lady, Mary Magdalene, who, um, who was a person of, um, of a difficult background and was often the butt of jokes, was often a person of scorn. And she sees this guy come back from the dead and instead of cowering before her friends, she runs to them and tells them, you're not going to believe it, but Jesus is alive. Because in that moment, she sees the promise that she can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You got this guy, his name's Peter, who, who days earlier uh, is afraid of a teenage girl who comes up to him and says, hey, you sound like you're from Galilee. Do you know Jesus? And he cusses her out and runs away. Does that sound like a courageous person? But then weirdly, two or three days later, the guy is telling the whole world about Jesus. He stands up in front of thousands of people and he says, this Jesus, you got him wrong. He's alive and he can save all of you. It's the same guy who stands up in front of the most powerful men in the country and says, uh, you know what? Who am I supposed to obey? God or you guys? He's found that promise that he'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Take Paul. His name used to be Saul. He's this neurotic, type A, religious freak who is all about obeying the rules. I don't know if there's anyone in here like that this morning who's anxious about obeying the rules. Perfectionists, are you all in here? Yeah, he's one of them. And so his whole life, he's thinking, got to get it right, 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 got to read God's word every day, got to do it right, got to do it right, so God will accept me. And then all of a sudden, something changes in him. Because he sees that promise. Man died, man came back to life. I can do the same? And that same Paul goes to that religious structure he came from, and he says, uh, y'all got it wrong about Jesus. That same Paul goes town after town, jail after jail, beating after beating, because he knows that promise. That same Paul stands before the most powerful man in all the West and says, Hey, I know you're going to cut my head off in a minute. Can I tell you about a promise first? Church, we need that courage. We need that courage to do the hard thing, to write the check, to confess the sin. We need that courage to speak to our coworkers and our friends, our estranged brothers and sisters about the power of the gospel. We need that courage. Where do we find it? We find it in knowing that Jesus died and he came back to life and the promise that he can redeem all of us in that. So church, some of you in this morning need courage. Let's look to David's secret. The guy who killed giants, what does he say? He says, you seek God, you find courage. When you seek his presence, when you seek his path, when you seek his promise. 